With apologies to the female half of our congregation, I think you'll forgive me for uh, a slightly male reference point to start off with this morning. I wonder how many of you gentlemen here uh, were in the Cups or the Scouts, or maybe even the Venture Scouts, the Explorer Scouts, I think they're called these days. Any, any ex-Scouts amongst you? There must be some. Good. Excellent. I know where to come when I need a notch time in the future. Um, well, as I say, I hope you'll forgive me a little bit of reminiscing this morning. Uh, I spent much of my time as I grew up, um, first of all as a, a cub, and then uh, particularly in the Scouts and the Venture Scouts, and I loved lots of what my friends and I did in those groups. The highlight of the year was always our summer camp, uh, which uh, invariably, or so it seemed, was spent in one of Britain's wettest locations, in order that we might enjoy a week under, under canvas just that little bit more. Camp, however, was generally great fun. Uh, but each morning, an hour after breakfast finished, we'd have to endure the dreaded part of each day. Inspection. Maybe Janet's familiar with the same sort of thing from all that she does with the internet, so I don't know. Yes. Um, I imagine that they must have similar sorts of things. Anyway, our scout leaders would come round um, and check uh, that our tents, our patrol tents, were all briefed uh, for airing just as they should be. Our sleeping bags all had to be rolled up identically and put uh, on our pillows. Our pots and pans had to be spotlessly scrubbed and our hands marginally less filthy than usual. Woe betide any patrol that wasn't up to scratch, who hadn't done what they'd been instructed to do. These were perhaps uh, the moments, I guess, in the Scouts when the movement's motto really came into play. Being prepared. Being prepared. This is the instruction in this morning's reading of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah, for him to relay to the people of Israel a voice of one calling. In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prepare the way for the Lord. Isaiah speaks to the people of Israel at the time of their exile in Babylon. They were a defeated nation, they were far from home, their temple uh, which was the place where they met with God had been destroyed. Their situation seems devoid of hope. And yet God's message to Israel expressed in Isaiah's prophecy, uh, perhaps familiar to some of us as the opening words of Handel's Messiah, starts with tenderness, and it starts with healing. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. The message of Isaiah starts with reassurance that the Lord has not forgotten his people, that they are beloved, and that they, all they have endured in defeat and exile and enslavement all of that will come to an end. A message to us too, 
after the awful year that we have all endured, of comfort to us as well. Even in the midst of this pandemic, God extends his comfort and his hope to each one of us as well. And Isaiah goes on to say in verse 11, the people of God then and we today are like flocks tended by their divine shepherd. We're gathered into God's bosom. We're held next to his loving and compassionate heart. But then Isaiah moves on from this wonderful reassurance. His message changes gear a bit. There is more. Yes, Israel is beloved and it will be restored, but its people need to respond to Isaiah's words. They need to respond because, as Isaiah alerts them, the Lord is coming. The people of Israel in the time of Isaiah were waiting for their Messiah, for a liberator, to free them from their exile in Babylon, to restore them to the promised land. But although the Israelites were indeed allowed to go back home at the end of the 6th century BC. Their return didn't bring them the renewal, the fullness of renewal that they had longed for. Over 500 years later, they still waited for the one who would deliver them. Only by then they sought freedom from their Roman oppressors, the occupying empire. They still waited for their saviour, their messiah. They expected this Messiah to look like a king. And in fact, Isaiah's words in many ways reinforce this because what he tells them to do, um, how he tells them to prepare, is exactly what would normally happen in the ancient world before the arrival of a king to a region. The inhabitants were to clear the roads of stones, to fill in any potholes. You can some of them around here, maybe, couldn't we? Uh, in order to uh, ease the passage of the ruler's carriage, to make straight the highway. But we know from the witness of the New Testament that the king who did come to the people of Israel, and indeed to the whole of humanity, was not a king in this way. We know from the Gospels that the one who came to fulfil the prophecies of Isaac Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as that translates into the Greek of the New Testament. Jesus Christ was a king who came not on a splendid chariot drawn by beautiful horses, but very different. A tiny baby born in a stable to a young mother and an older father, unmarried at the time of his birth, surrounded not by finery, but by farmers, attended not by courtiers, but by shepherds. God's plan for the universe is not fulfilled in the form of a conventional king, but in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and also, as Isaiah tells us earlier, the Prince of Peace. But if this king, Jesus, looks so different from a conventional king, then how are we to prepare for him? As I said over the last couple of weeks or so, 
and this season of Advent leading up to the joy of Christmas is traditionally a time of waiting, a time of reflection, a time of preparation. We see this in the, in the colours that we have, the, the stole that I'm wearing, the colours on the altar as well, the same colours, the same purple as Lent. Um, Advent and Lent have such similarities in that way. They're times of waiting, of a pause, time to reflect. So with the coming of the King in the person of Jesus, Isaiah's encouragement to his listeners to prepare becomes rather metaphorical. There's no literal road in the wilderness to be made smoother, but for the arrival of the King of Kings, we still need to prepare. God's Son has come once to the earth to fulfil the prophecies of Isaiah and of others already. In his time amongst humanity, Jesus made clear through his teachings through uh, his being, through his miracles. He made clear that after his crucifixion, resurrection, and return to his heavenly Father, he would return to earth once again, return to draw all things to him, the full realisation of the kingdom of God, for which we pray every time we say the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. They want to sound overly dramatic about this. Um, if you're a bit concerned, I'm uh, going to go and preach all about uh, the last days this morning. Uh, we're in uh, Watton, and not in Wyoming after all. Um, but I do believe it's absolutely right for each of us to consider what it means in our context here today to prepare for the Messiah's coming. Jesus's coming, of which Isaiah spoke. And I believe there are two particular areas we need to consider. Preparing ourselves and helping others also to be prepared. So preparing ourselves. God's message to us all in the person of Jesus is one above all of love. We read in chapter 8 of St Paul's letter to the Romans that for all those who are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. But this um, uh, means we have set free, uh, we've been set free from the law of sin and death. But this doesn't mean it's okay to do whatever we please. Freedom in and through the person of Jesus Christ means that in response to his infinite love for us, we want, above all, to be right with him. It comes from within us. We want to confess and say sorry for all that we've done wrong, to prepare our hearts and minds and bodies for his sake. And this is, of course, what we do every time we come together as God's family to share communion, as we'll do in a few minutes. We do that in our prayers of penitence, to prepare ourselves before God, to be ready for him, to work in us and through us, to bring his kingdom into the lives of those whom we encounter every single day. Which brings me to my second key area for us. As followers of Jesus, 
if we believe in his teachings and in his power through the work of the Holy Spirit to transform lives, to transform families, to transform communities or nations, then we should be passionate about helping others prepare themselves before Jesus too. To me, this preparation takes two forms. Firstly, it's doing what we see Isaiah himself doing in the Old Testament, and what we see in the person of John the Baptist at the start of all four Gospels in the New Testament, as we see uh, in the reading uh, that Peter shared with us in Mark's Gospel this morning. It's taking up what Isaiah declares by straightening the path along which Jesus shortly followed. It's what I can best describe as being prophetic. I get a sense that in this day and age, prophecy is often thought of as being uh, some sort of futurology or even rather like soothsaying. But it's not. Prophecy, rather, is being commissioned by God to be his agent, speaking as his intermediary to humanity, sometimes speaking into the future, but primarily with a message for the present, the time in which he or she, the prophet, is living. If we as Christians are to prepare for an encounter with Jesus, those who we know and our communities and our society as a whole, then we need to be prepared to be prophetic voices in these places. We must be prepared to speak out against the injustices and iniquities of our own time, of our own society. And in those communities and countries in other parts of the world as well, where we see these happening too. Against human trafficking, against bold slavery, against poverty and homelessness against the treatment of the voiceless and marginalised, against corporate greed and environmental destruction. Such prophetic witness is a central part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to prepare his way amongst others. And the second element of helping others prepare themselves before Jesus is to be that very person of Christ, them, to witness in our lives, in our words and in our actions, the love and compassion and grace of Jesus Christ, that they might see him in us, and through the work of the Spirit in their hearts, in turn become passionate about preparing themselves for the coming of his kingdom. Being disciples who, in Isaiah's words, go up on a high mountain who lift their voices with a shout, and who declare without fear, Here is your God. Being disciples who make disciples. So as we come together in a moment to share in the Lord's Supper, the meal Jesus shared with his disciples on the night before he died, let's take a moment to reflect on being prepared, preparing ourselves and preparing others for his coming. As we approach Christmas, the Advent Liturgy contains the following declaration. 
our Lord says, I am coming soon. May the Lord, when he comes, find us watching and waiting. My prayer this morning is that he will find each one of us prepared as well. In Jesus' name.